I want you to take a look at this picture. You know, it looks like a professional ballet dancer, doesn't it? But this is actually Jake Arrieta of the Chicago Cubs, Chicago Cubs uh, star pitcher. Uh, in fact, Jake, Jake won the uh, Cy Young Award last year for the best pitcher in MLB. Now, before I go any further, just an aside here, a week ago I spoke for the launch of our, our Singles 30 Plus ministry and I used a Jake Arrieta illustration. If you're a single adult, this is not the same illustration. I have lots of Cubs illustrations I'm waiting to use, okay? So this is, this is a different one, but uh, Jake, last year, best pitcher in MLB. Uh, but interestingly, when he got traded to the Cubs back in 2013 from the Baltimore Orioles, he was the worst starting pitcher in Orioles franchise history. So what, what occasioned the change from worst to best? Jake attributes it to Pilates training. You just saw him on a Pilates machine. Here, here's the background to that picture that appeared in, in Sports Illustrated. Uh, Jake was walking out of a French bakery one morning, having had breakfast with his wife, and right next door there's a Pilates studio. So he sticks his head in the door, and he's greeted by a woman named Lisa, who's an instructor. And he says, hello, I'm Jake Arrieta. I pitch for the Chicago Cubs. And she looked at him and said, never heard of you. But let, let's see what you can do. And so he tried out the Pilates machine, and he made up his mind he was going to train on a Pilates machine once or twice a week. But under Lisa's instruction, he started doing it every single day. And then he bought a Pilates machine for his home, and then he talked the Cubs into purchasing one for the clubhouse at Wrigley Field. And according to Sports Illustrated, you could probably expect a Pilates machine to be in every locker room soon, given the fact that Jake is such a superhero. Uh, today I want to talk to you about training, okay, not, not physical training like Pilates, I want to talk to you about spiritual training. L listen to what the Apostle Paul says about spiritual training. Uh, just an aside here, Paul used a lot of sports analogies in his uh, New Testament epistles. I'm sure he was a sports nut, probably would have been a Cubs fan if he were alive today. Okay, this is, this is 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, train yourself to be godly. Okay, spiritual training, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. Today we're going to apply this principle to the shaping of the spiritual lives of teenagers. Okay, this is the third week in a four-part series that is, in one sense, a parenting series. We want to equip moms and dads how to pass the faith on to their kids. But we know that there are a lot of people who attend our weekend services who are not parents. Uh, some of you are middle school or high school students yourselves. Some of you are single, never been married. Some of you are married, don't have kids. Some of you are empty nesters. But we are not giving you a free pass during this series because we know that practically every one of us has interaction with young people, with kids. You may be an aunt or an uncle. You may be a school teacher. You may be a coach of some uh, park district sports team. You may be someone who volunteers in our Kids World Ministry or our uh, midweek student ministries. This series should cover just about everybody who attends our services. It's called Pathway, Leading Kids to Walk with Christ. 
Now, the first week of this series, Pastor Clayton spoke about faith lessons for preschoolers. Last weekend, Pastor Randy, our Kids World director, spoke about faith lessons for grade schoolers. Today, I'm going to talk about faith lessons for teens. Now, as I was getting ready for this sermon, you know, I suddenly realized I don't know a single passage in the Bible that specifically addresses teenagers, not one. So I began to pray about this. God, you know, what scripture do you want me to use? And God reminded me that the Apostle Paul had at, at one time mentored a young man by the name of Timothy who was a teenager when they first met. In fact, Paul wrote two New Testament letters, First and Second Timothy, to this one-time high school student. And so that's going to be our text for today, 1st and 2nd Timothy. If you brought a Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1st Timothy. It may take you just a few minutes to find it. And if you would, get the outline from your program, follow, as, follow along as we go. A little bit of background as you're looking for 1st Timothy. Uh, as many of you know, when, when the Apostle Paul surrendered his life to Christ, he was a grown adult. And it made such a huge impact upon him, just rocked his world. So he was determined to spread the good news about Jesus far and wide. He took off on the very first missionary journey, the very first go team trip in history. And as Paul is traveling around the then known world, he arrives in what is modern day Turkey in a city called Lystra. And he's sharing the good news about, about Jesus. And incidentally, he heals a guy who's been lame from birth. And the minute he heals him, this miracle garners the attention of a crowd, and they want to worship Paul as a god. They want to offer him sacrifices. And Paul says, no, no, not me. Jesus came to tell you about Jesus. And then the mood of the crowd swung to the opposite extreme. Instead of wanting to worship him, they picked up stones. They began to stone him. They knocked him unconscious. They dragged him out of the city. They left him for dead. You know, Paul was the kind of guy, though, that, you know, he could take a licking and keep on ticking. So he gets back up after they've left. He dusts himself off. He goes back into Lystra and preaches the good news about Jesus some more. Now, the reason I give you this story that's recorded in Acts chapter 14 is that Lystra was the hometown of Timothy. Timothy is not mentioned in Acts chapter 14, but a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 16 we read that some years later, Paul, on a second missionary journey, returns to Lystra. And this is when he meets Timothy. And Timothy is already a Christ follower. And, and what we assume from other Bible passages is that on Paul's first visit to Lystra, his mom had heard the good news about Christ, surrendered her life to Jesus, and then introduced her son Timothy to Christ. And Tim is now an avid Christ follower. In fact, Paul is so impressed with the faith of this high school student, he asks his mom, do you mind if I recruit him for my go team? I'd like to take him with me. And she says, sure. And she fills out the parent permission slip and packs Timothy a sack lunch and, and off he goes. Now, now what you need to understand is that Timothy's dad was not a Christ follower. And so from this point on in time, the apostle Paul became Timothy's spiritual mentor. And some years later, when Timothy was in his 20s, Paul actually appointed him. A very young pastor appointed him to be the pastor of a church that Paul had started in the city of Ephesus. And that's when Paul decided to write a couple of letters, First and Second Timothy, of spiritual instruction, spiritual mentoring 
uh, to his young protege. So today we're going to take a look at some select verses from 1st and 2nd Timothy in order to discover faith lessons for teens. And I want to I want to challenge you even if you're not the parent of a teen to consider becoming a mentor a mentor to middle school or high school students. Now, two disclaimers before we take a look at seven faith lessons for teens. Disclaimer number one is this. You don't pass on faith lessons to teens the same way that you pass on faith lessons to preschoolers or grade schoolers, the groups that we've talked about the last couple of weekends. Okay, young children are very dependent upon their parents, and so parents use a lot of directive teaching, okay, hands-on sort of thing. Uh, teenagers are a little more independent, not as dependent as, as young children. They want to figure things out for themselves. They're not yet as independent as grown children, the group we're going to talk about next weekend, are kids who are now in their 20s and 30s. They're somewhere in between, not as dependent as young children, not as independent as grown children. We're going to call them independent, interdependent, interdependent. So the best way to pass on faith lessons is to give them some basic Bible instruction, but then sort of step back and let them figure some things out for themselves. Now, the best thing we can do at that point is just to be good role models. As we teach them the faith lessons, show them what it's like to put these seven faith lessons into practice ourselves. Be exhibit A for these faith lessons. Okay, so that's the first disclaimer, how we pass these faith lessons on to teens. Second disclaimer is this. At Christ Community Church, we see a lot of adults surrender their lives to Jesus for the first time in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. And some of these people are already parents. Some of them, their kids are already teens. And so, so when these parents, these moms and dads come to Christ, they immediately want for their teens what they didn't get themselves growing up. They didn't have a spiritual mentor. And, and it's very easy if they're not careful to become overbearing in this regard. I mean, their kids are still trying to figure out this weirdness of mom and dad getting Jesus, and now they want to cram Jesus down their throats. And so I just want to say to you, if, if you've come to Christ a little later in life and your kids are somewhat what grown, grown, as you pass these faith lessons on to them, you've got to do it with a certain amount of care and finesse and gradually and graciously. You get it? Good. Here's faith lesson number one. Okay, and I've already hinted at this one. Find a spiritual mentor. Find a spiritual mentor. Now, I've already told you that Timothy the teenager had a spiritual mentor, the Apostle Paul. If your Bible is open to 1 Timothy chapter 1, take a look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul begins this letter by stating that he's writing, verse 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So Paul's saying he was like a spiritual dad to Timothy. Now flip over to 2 Timothy. It's only a couple of pages further in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1, drop down to verse 13. Paul says, Timothy, what you have heard from me, I want you to keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Okay, Paul had made a deposit in his life. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
So Timothy had somebody who had been making regular, deliberate, spiritual deposits in his life. Timothy had a spiritual mentor whose name was Paul. Now friends, ideally, every mom and dad ought to be the primary spiritual mentor in the life of their teenager. Because parents, whether you know it or not, parents have a huge influence in the lives of their teens. Now you wouldn't think it sometime, but I was reading some research just this past week, a survey that was done of of teens, and they said, these are church-going teens, teens who go to church with their moms and dads, said that they get the best quantity and quality support from their mom and dad. You know, better than any other group, better than their friends, better than the support that they get from teachers or coaches or uh, even their youth pastor at church. It's mom and dad who give them the best input, the best support. Now, don't expect to hear that from them, okay? I'm telling you that. That's the research. That's good news. But here's the bad news. Even though parents have this ginormous influence in the lives of their teens, most parents are not using this influence for spiritual mentoring. Okay, in the same study, Search Institute is the name of the organization that did it. It was a nationwide study of 11,000 teenagers. Only 12% of them said that they had a regular dialogue with their mom about faith issues. Only 5% said they ever talked about faith issues with their dad. Wow. You talk about a lost opportunity. Here we are, huge influencers, not taking full advantage of the opportunity that God's given us. You know, what percentage of the conversations in your home this past week, if we had planted a microphone, bugged your house, and recorded every conversation with your kids, what percentage mentioned God? What what percentage alluded to a connection and relationship with Jesus Christ? And, and, and if you're thinking, well, you know, why is spiritual mentoring so important if the research shows that overall we're having a positive influence in the lives of our kids? What's so important about spiritual mentoring? I just want to say to you, if you're a parent of a teen, this is the stage of their life when their self-identity is being formed. So what do you want, what do, you want to do the shaping of that self-identity? You know, whether or not they're good at sports, is that what you want shaping their self-identity? How popular they are, how smart they are, you know, whether they consider themselves to be straight or gay or transgender, is that, is that what's going to shape their self-identity? The movies they watch, the music they listen to? Or do you want their self-identity shaped by a relationship with God, by the knowledge that they've been made in the image of God, a God who desperately loves them? who gave his son for them. See, that, this sort of mentoring doesn't just, doesn't just happen. It's got to be intentional. Got to be worked into our daily conversations. Now, some of those conversations are going to happen spontaneously. You know, as I read the research, I read one dad's comment who said he makes it his personal goal, listen to this, his personal goal to work God into at least one conversation with every one of his kids every day. That's a, that's a worthy goal. That's what you call intentional spontaneity. Sounds like an oxymoron, but you're, you're intentionally working to bring spiritual things into conversations with your kids. 
Sometimes it's not spontaneous. You can't leave it all to spontaneous conversations. It's got to be planned. Which is why one of the best things you can do, moms and dads, is to make sure that dinner time happens as a family at least four or five times a week. You know, and, and during the dinner time conversation, if you want to increase the caliber of that conversation, you throw out a question, and there's a very simple question you could use every time. You just look at your kids and you say, okay, what's the best and the worst thing that happened to you today? Let's just go around the table. And everybody's going to have something to share. And in the midst of a much more substantive conversation, you're going to have opportunities to drop in references to God. So planned conversations. My 28-year-old son, Andrew, was reminding me the other day we had drove past a... uh, Einstein's bagels and he said dad remember when we used to get up once a week and before school you take me to Einstein's bagels and we talk and we did in fact he could still remember what I used to order for breakfast and what he used to order for breakfast and we we would talk about girls we would talk about soccer we would talk about school we would talk about our relationship with God and what we were getting out of the Bible it's a planned conversation every week now, as, as I say this, no doubt some of you who are moms, single moms, or maybe you're, you're a mom whose husband is not a Christ follower and you're thinking to yourself, you're breaking my heart, Jim, you know, to talk about your mentoring of your son because my kids aren't going to get that from their dad. Well, Timothy didn't either, but he had a mom who loved Jesus and he had a mentor by the name of Paul who saw to it that he got spiritual mentoring. So uh, let me just say to you, you you moms and dads, this is why it's critical to get your middle school students to Genesis in the midweek at Christ Community Church and to a Mosaic house group if they're a high school student because that's where they're going to run into other adult spiritual mentors, other Pauls, other Paulines. And and let, let me just say, we need more Pauls and Paulines serving in our high school and middle school ministries. You don't have to be the parent of a teenager in order to be the spiritual mentor of a teenager. And so I would encourage you to consider volunteering today to work in student ministries at Christ Community Church. Okay, that's number one. You know, find a mentor. Number two, spiritual lesson, faith lesson number two, read and study the Bible. This is obviously pretty basic stuff, but turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let me begin reading at verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In fact, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to note a couple of things in the, the middle of that passage, verse 15. The first is that Timothy had heard the Scriptures from infancy. Again, this is a mom, a Christ-following mom who made sure that Timothy got the Bible in his life. 
And even more importantly, I, I, I want you to know what the primary, what the foundational Bible lesson was from his mom to Timothy. It, it, it was the lesson of salvation. The scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me say to those of you who are parents or mentors of mentors of middle school and high school students, the salvation lesson is the most important lesson for them to get from the Bible. Okay, what is the salvation message? Well, it's, it's the message that we all start out as sinners, and our sin has separated us from a holy God. And the bad news is the penalty for our sin is death. Because we've chosen to go our own way instead of God's way, because we have unplugged from the giver of life, the source of life, we deserve to die, spiritually die, eternally die. But God loves us so much that he sent his son to earth to take the penalty we deserve for our sins. He died the death we deserve to die. And now Jesus, risen from the dead, is able to offer forgiveness and able to offer a new life that begins immediately and continues on into eternity to everyone who surrenders their lives to him. This is the basic salvation message. Got to be passed on to our teens. And if you're not sure how to do this yourself, I would encourage you, pick up one of those God's good news booklets and go over it with your teenager. Go over it with your younger kids as well. You know, explain to them the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. Because until your teenager gets the salvation message, nothing else from the Bible is going to have any application to their lives. They are not going to have the desire or the ability to apply anything else from Scripture. And you say, what do you mean? Don't have the desire or the ability. Well, you know, let's take a, a topic like sexual purity. You're going to talk to a teen about sexual purity. Okay, where, where's the desire to live a sexually pure life going to come from? Their friends aren't living sexually pure lives. Nothing in the media suggests that they ought to live a sexually pure life. I mean, this is just an outdated, irrelevant rule. Until they surrender their lives to Jesus and they come to know the one who loves them so much that he gave his life for them on the cross. And, and, and this Jesus who loves them that much would certainly want the best for them. And if he taught sexual purity, then doggone it, I want to be sexually pure because I want to love back this one who loved me so desperately. And this is also where the power, the ability to apply the rules, as it were, of Scripture comes from. See, once you surrender to Jesus, his spirit comes to live on the inside. That's a signing bonus for surrendering to Christ. You get the Holy Spirit on the inside who enables you to do what you couldn't do on your own. Even if a teen wanted to live a sexually pure life, you know, in the face of the temptation they, you know, they face on a regular basis from the media and peers and dating expectations and so on, no way they're going to succeed unless the desire and the ability come from a relationship with Christ. So you start, you start your Bible teaching with the basic salvation message, the gospel. And then once they get salvation, you know, the Bible should become the most important book in their lives. It shapes their character, their morals, their relationships, their, their priorities. But here's some more bad news from the researchers. That nationwide survey that I mentioned earlier, 11,000 high school students discovered that only 9% of them ever engage in reading 
and applying the Bible in their family. Only 9% of them get the Bible in their family. Now, we're, we're working on changing that statistic at Christ Community Church. In fact, one of our top five goals for 2016 church-wide is uh, we are working on what we call the Bible Devo Initiative, Bible Devotions Initiative. We're putting together a Bible reading schedule that the entire family can use, from the parents down to the youngest kids in, in, the, in the home. And we, we recognize that some of you are already using a Bible plan that we've been promoting, the Scripture Union Plan, a, an international organization, and you could get that plan online or you could get a hard copy. But as we've looked at that schedule, we think we can improve on it, and we think we can add some bells and whistles that will ensure that it gets used in a family. And so we're going to be rolling out our, our Bible Devo initiative come September. Now, if you as an adult, if you're not yet a regular Bible reader, I'd encourage you, go to Scripture Union. Go online, have it downloaded electronically to your phone or your pad, or pick up a hard copy of that devotional at any one of our four campuses at Resource. You know, and, and then get your young person reading the Bible on a regular basis. You know, when, when our kids were teenagers, this was a, uh, an expectation in our home, that everybody would read the Bible daily. You know, just, just like there were responsibilities for mowing the lawn and feeding the dog and finishing homework and practicing the piano, reading the Bible was a responsibility. And we all followed the same reading schedule, and then we would get together just once or twice a week. You know, for like 15 minutes at a time, we would all sit in the living room and we'd go around and say, so what have you been getting out of your Bible reading this week? Now, did my teenagers always do that with a good attitude? What do you think? <laughs> but let, let me tell you something. When they came with a bad attitude, that, that didn't discourage me to the point of dropping the requirement any more than their bad attitude about washing the dishes or taking out the garbage caused me to say, well, then you don't have to do it. Yeah. This, was a, this was an expectation in the Nicodem home. God's word shapes our lives. So we're going to read it. We're going to talk about it on a regular basis. The key here, friends, is consistency. Consistency. Here's a third faith lesson. Pray about everything. Now, the Apostle Paul mentions the importance of prayer to Timothy numerous times in these New Testament epistles. Let me give you a couple of examples. First Timothy chapter 2. Look at the opening verse. Paul says, I urge then, Timothy, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now go over to 2 Timothy, opening chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, second half of the verse. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul taught Timothy the importance of prayer, and he modeled it for him. You know, Paul taught Timothy how to pray, and let me tell you, you, you basically learn how to pray by doing it, and, and, and you do it in concert with other people, especially if you're a kid growing up in a family that prays. So if, you, if you've never read my book, Prayer Coach, and you're a mom or a dad, I encourage you to pick up a copy and read the chapter on how to teach your kids to pray. So, so in our home, we would start when our kids were little, and we would pray at the dinner table or at bedtime, a planned prayer time, 
Again, keeping it short, and when our kids were really little, we would assign each one uh, somebody to pray for and what to pray for about them. So the who and the what, we would provide it. So I might say to one of my kids, say, Andrew, why don't you pray for Grandpa that he would come to know Jesus? And Emily, why don't you pray for our next-door neighbor? He lost his job this week, and let's pray that God gives him a new job. Okay, so we give him the who and the what. Now, as he got a little bit older, we would supply the who because we knew people who were in need of prayer, but we let them come up with the what because it was usually fairly obvious what it was they needed to pray about. And then when they got to be teenagers, we stopped giving the who and the what entirely, and we said, who do you think we ought to pray for? What do you think we ought to pray for in their lives? See, it's just a gradual sort of thing. You're coaching your kids. You're giving them a little more responsibility each time you do it. So these are planned prayer times. By the way, just an aside here with respect to planned prayer times. You know, if you haven't done so already, I would encourage you at our four campuses, we have this sign-up list for 24-7 prayer. An entire week of prayer we're going to cover in half-hour increments. Every day for a week we're going to be praying. I would encourage you to sign up as a family for one of those half-hour slots. But in addition to the planned prayer times, let me say a word about immediate prayer whenever a crisis arises in the life of your teenager. Okay, big crisis, small crisis, doesn't matter. Dr. Kara Powell and Dr. Chap Clark are two Christian psychologists. They've written an excellent book called Sticky Faith. Subtitle, Everyday Ideas to Build Lasting Faith in Your Kids. It's a great book. I read it in preparation for the series, and we're carrying it at resource. But I want want to read a quote from Sticky Faith. These authors write, Our kids grow not when we stand as goalies preventing pain from entering the net of their lives, but when we are present and listen carefully when they feel beat up, confused, and defeated. So we're not trying to keep pain out of their lives, but when it occurs, we want to be good listeners, these authors say. And I want to add, and we want to be good prayers. You know, these, these are the moments to teach our kids how to pray when the crises come up. And I'm not talking strictly about God, please fix this problem sort of prayer. I'm talking about prayers that are, are honest and vulnerable, where we could say, God, this stinks. Pastor Clayton, our last series, we did a series on the Psalms, and he taught on a psalm of lament, how God invites us to pour out our hearts to him when when we we think that life is just kind of sucky, to say that to God. So we teach our kids how to pray in crisis when your teen has been cut from the basketball team or dumped by a boyfriend or can't make heads or tails out of algebra and they're just so frustrated. It's time to listen and then it's time to pray. That's how a crisis becomes a learning experience. That's how a personal jolt becomes an opportunity for God to show up. Came across an amusing anecdote in the news recently. This guy had a problem with his heart. His heart began to race. And it just, it just wouldn't stop. It was going at a fast beat. And so he called 911 and they sent an ambulance. And the, the medical technicians couldn't get his heart rate to slow down. So they put him in the ambulance and they were driving him to the hospital. This is a true story in the news. The ambulance hit a pothole in the road and the jolt caused the guy's heart rate to return to normal. Got to the hospital, everything's okay. okay. Listen, 
parents, we don't have to spare our kids potholes. We need to let the potholes of life jolt their hearts. And then as we pray with them, this becomes an experience where God shows up. And they become prayers. Here's a fourth faith lesson. Prioritize church. I'm not going to turn to a specific verse in First or Second Timothy to underscore this point because these two epistles in their entirety, you know, they're all about the priority of church. Remember now that, that Timothy is a 20-something-year-old pastor, and, and so Paul is giving him instructions through these two letters on how to lead a church. So all seven of these faith lessons that we're looking at today are meant to be taught and encouraged and reinforced in the context of a community of Christ followers called church. The, the, the two Christian psychologists I referred to earlier who wrote that book, Sticky Faith, They write in their book that church, listen to this, church attendance, they say, is the closest thing to a silver bullet. These are their words. Closest thing to a silver bullet when it comes to developing faith in the life of a teenager. There's a huge correlation between attendance at weekly worship services, these authors say, and sticky faith. You know, and that's why when parents ask me, as they will from time to time, they'll say, well, you know, my teenager doesn't want to go to church. Should I make them? And I respond a couple of ways. The first is to ask a question. I say, well, let me ask you a question. If, if they don't want to go to school or they don't want to go to their part-time job or they don't want to go to football practice, what, what do you say? Do you say, well, that's okay. You don't need to go. I don't think so. I say, but let me say something else here. One thing I know about church, church services where there's worship going on and teaching of God's word and people gathered who want to follow Christ, I know that the river of God's grace flows in that place. And if your student is there, they just might get wet. It's much more likely that they're, they're, they're going to get soaked with God's grace there at that church service than home playing video games or out at the outlet mall shopping with their friends, or trekking on a traveling sports team down to Peoria for the day. So You want to put them in the place where they're going to get run over by the river of God's grace, and just maybe they'll get wet. You can't change their attitude. You can't force them to conform from the outside. God can change their heart, though, if they're in a place where they're going to hear about his love and grace. The other thing I want you to know about our services, our services, weekend services, are carefully planned with teenagers in mind. Every time I speak, every time I speak, my notes are ready by midweek, and I farm them out to Pete Sutton, who oversees all our student ministries, and Pete vets my notes to make sure that the Bible insights and the illustrations and the applications, you know, all will connect with middle school and high school students. And when you arrive at one of our four campuses at church, you will run into students who are serving. Some of them are out in the parking lot helping to park cars. That's a scary thought. (laughs) Some are working in kids' world. You know, you're going to see some at Cup of Joy or ushers and greeters. You're going to see uh, occasionally some up in our worship team or in our worship band. Because our church services are for teenagers as much as they are for their parents. So you prioritize 
church, and, and not just the weekend services, those midweek ministries, you know, Genesis for middle school and house groups for, uh, for high school students, because that's where they're going to run into spiritual mentors who are underscoring the values you're, you're trying to teach at home. You know, Tony Dungy, the famous uh, NFL coach who's now a commentator, Super Bowl winning coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He's written a book on parenting. In the book, he tells an amusing story. His, his son, when his son was a high school student, he was trying to teach his son the importance of a healthy breakfast. And all his son wanted to do was eat uh, one or two Pop-Tarts and rush out the door to school. And he could not change his son's eating habits, no matter how hard he tried. And then one day, Tony wakes up, and he smells something cooking down in the kitchen. And he walks down, and his son is scrambling some eggs, making toast, pouring orange juice. And he's like, what is this all about? And his son looks at him with kind of a condescending attitude, and he says, well, Dad, the football coach says that breakfast is the most important (laughs) meal of the day. Sometimes a dad's word is not enough. A mom's word is not enough. That's why you want to run your kids into other spiritual mentors through our student ministries who are going to reinforce those spiritual lessons. And one one footnote to this point, for those of you who send your kids to a private Christian school, don't let your teens neglect the church just because they're getting Bible and getting spiritual instruction at school. You know, I've been in this business for 30 years now, and friends, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a Christian-schooled young person, once they graduate, walk away from the faith. And the reason is they've no longer got the school to buttress them. And they never learned the importance of the church, the role of the church in their lives. And so if your kids have the benefit, the blessing of being at a Christian school, make sure they stay plugged into the church as well, that school doesn't become a substitute for church. Now, I've got three more lessons, but in the middle of the week, as I'm putting together these seven faith lessons, I'm realizing there's no way I can cover all this at a weekend service, so I recorded two of the faith lessons, lessons five and six, and they're online. In fact, they're available right now. Uh, Typically, the weekend message isn't available until Monday, but we've already posted part two of this sermon online. You can listen to it on your way home, seven minutes long, some extra teaching. I'll give you what points five and six are because some of you are are sort of anal about filling in the blanks, okay? (laughs) So I don't want to cheat you of that. Lesson five is roll up your sleeves and serve. Lesson six is invest your money in Christ's kingdom because giving and serving have a huge impact on a person's spiritual life. And not only that, moms and dads, you, you want to see your, 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 your teenager transformed from me-centeredness to others-centeredness? No lessons more important than serving and giving. In fact, uh, another announcement, a promotional uh, piece here. Okay, Camp Riverwoods, Fox Valley Christian Action is set up in our lobbies today across our four campuses to recruit for uh, a week of serving, serving kids who come from an urban, uh, underprivileged atmosphere and they're at Camp, Camp Riverwoods in the summer. Great opportunity for you to serve with your kids. 
Okay, let me give you the seventh faith lesson and then we'll wrap up. And I'm just going to touch on this one really lightly. Lesson number seven is run from sexual temptation. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I was a student ministries pastor. And in the church that, that I served, our middle school and high school ministries saw tons of kids come to know Jesus. I mean, we just, we had hundreds of kids surrendering their lives to Christ. And so that was very exciting. But I saw another pattern at work. I, I saw the biggest negative, the thing that crippled the fervor of a brand new Christ follower, high school or middle school student, more than any other factor, was when one of them would get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And that more often than not turned out to be the kiss of death for their spiritual life. No, no pun intended. Because suddenly somebody other than Jesus was competing for first place in that student's life. And not only that, but sexual temptations now became a, a, a frequent pitfall. And I say that, sexual temptations became a pitfall, realizing that was 30 years ago. Today, it's not just a live boyfriend or girlfriend that can wreck a teenager's relationship with Christ. It is the constant sexual temptation of the media. I mean, you got sexting on smartphones. you got porn on every electronic device your teenager owns. You've got TV and movie storylines that are constantly loaded with casual hookups. See, unless we teach our young people to run, to run from sexual temptation, it's going to destroy their relationship with God. So this is Paul's advice to Timothy on this score, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Paul says, Timothy, flee. Circle that word. He doesn't say stand and fight. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, friends, we could spend hours on this topic, but we're out of time, so let me recommend three resources for parents in this regard. This is so important. First resource is what I keep beating the drum for. Get your middle schooler to Genesis midweek. Get your high school student in a house group, mosaic house group. Why? Because once a year we teach on this topic. So they're going to hear it with regularity. In fact, in middle school ministry, we do an entire weekend seminar called Naked Truth every year for parents and middle school students. Okay, so get them involved in our student ministry. They'll hear this topic taught from Scripture. Secondly, just a book recommended. It's a book called Teenology by Jim Burns. And if the name sounds familiar, it's because Jim is one of two presenters. He's a, he's a family expert, family specialist. He's one of two presenters at our marriage conference this coming weekend, Friday night and Saturday. I encourage you, if you've not planned to come thus far, sign up, show up if you're a married couple for this important seminar. And then lastly, by the way, Jim, Jim's got two chapters in Teenology, one called Creating a Media Safe Home, another called Teaching the Purity Code. Those two chapters are worth the price of the book. And then thirdly, you've got this Parent Pathway website, you know, the CCC website. You can go to it and we'll give you all sorts of additional resources. But let me remind you in closing, as with all these lessons, the best way to teach your teenager how to run from sexual temptation is to model it yourself. You know, what are the movies that you download from next 
Netflix and watch? What are the websites you're going, going to? What are the boundaries you set with respect to relationships with members of the opposite sex at work and so on? See, if they see you running from sexual temptation, they'll get the message. Now, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a closing song. And we're going to take our offering, bring our gifts to the Lord. Again, giving is a huge part of spiritual growth. And th this is a song that says, Christ is enough for me. The faith lessons I've given you, don't try to apply them in your own strength. It's got to be Christ who enables you to become the sort of parent that God wants you to be or to become the sort of middle school or high school student that God wants you to be. So sing from your heels, Christ is enough for me. Then when we're done singing, our pastors will come out at each campus and close in prayer. If you listen to my sermon, Faith Lessons for Teens, in our series Pathway, you know we had a seven-point outline, but we're only able to cover five of those points in our weekend service. So here's the extra content I wanted to make sure you get. This is Faith Lesson number five for teens, Number five, roll up your sleeves and serve. As Timothy's spiritual mentor, Paul had been the guy who had prayed that God would give Timothy certain gifts with which Timothy could serve other people. And I'll bet Paul was the first to recognize these gifts in Timothy's life and to, to say to him, hey, buddy, I, I see God's made you really good at this or really good at that. And so in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy how important it is to serve people with these gifts that God's given him. 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 14 and 15 say, Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. You know, develop your gift, Timothy. Use it to serve other people. Now, if you're the parent of a teenager, you may have been the first one to recognize some natural ability of your, uh, your son, your daughter, when they were still very young. Maybe you saw them dribbling a basketball or play the piano, or you discovered that they could add or subtract, and you thought, wow, you, you did everything possible to fan that into flame. You dreamed of the day when they, as a high school student, would make the varsity basketball team or play, play the solo in the school orchestra concert or get accepted into an Ivy League school as a math major. But do we as parents, do we make a similar effort to identify and to fan into flame the spiritual gifts that God's given our kids? Not just natural abilities, but gifts with which to serve others. You know, are we really pumped up? when our high school student chooses to teach a class, class of third graders in kids' world, or serve the poor on a second Saturday, or uh, travel on a go team to Nicaragua, or to, to mow the lawn of a single woman, single mom down the block. You know, do we celebrate? Do we say, yeah, way to go? Is that stuff as important to us as seeing them make National Honor Society or get selected as, as starting quarterback? We need to teach our teens there's a close relationship between spiritual growth and serving people with the, the gifts God's given us. You know, they, they won't get the former. They won't get the spiritual growth without the latter, without the serving. And the best way to teach them the value and the joy of serving is by inviting them to serve with us. You know, to teach in kids' world together to care for the homeless on a second Saturday together, to cook a meal for a neighbor who's just come home from the hospital together. 
So roll up your sleeves and serve. That's faith lesson number five. Faith lesson number six, invest your money in Christ's kingdom. Invest your money in Christ's kingdom. Uh, I read this past week that the average credit card debt of a college student Okay, credit card debt of a college student, and this is a statistic that's probably a few years old already, is $3,000. And half of all college students carry four or more credit cards. It's a scary thought. So what were these college students learning about money when they were middle school, when they were high school students living under their parents' roof? You know, were, were they learning that money is mostly about acquiring the things you want? You know, you use money to get designer jeans and iTunes downloads and pizza with friends and pay for sports team expenses. And Now, some of you moms and dads, you may be thinking, okay, I get the fact it's really important to teach teens about money, but what is this point doing in a sermon about faith lessons? Okay, what, what does money have to do with a teen's spiritual life? Everything. Everything. Je Jesus told a parable about how people grow spiritually, and he used the analogy of farming. Jesus described people's hearts as being like soil, and he said the seed of God's Word gets planted in the soil, and it, it begins to grow. But in some cases, Jesus warned, thorns in a person's soil can choke out the life of that plant. Now, what did Jesus mean by thorns? Well, he tells us exactly what he, he means in Mark 4, verse 19. He said, the thorns are the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. Okay, money and things. If we spend all our money on ourselves, Jesus taught, it'll choke off our spiritual life. You know, Paul says something in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wandered from the faith. So what should we teach our, our kids, our teens, about what to do with their money? I mean, how, how can money become an asset to their spiritual growth instead of a liability? Listen to what Paul says in the closing verses of the chapter I was just reading. This is 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, and, and by the way, that means all of us living in an affluent Western culture, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, if you want a next step for your kids with respect to this whole issue of money, let me just... Uh, say by way of promotion, next September, in the fall, we're going to be doing another FPU, Financial Peace University, Money Principles Taught by, uh, by an Expert. And that course is also taught at a student level. So Dave Ramsey's material is going to be taught for kids as well. You, you want to keep your ears open for, uh, you know, for that day, for that seminar. And in the meantime, in the meantime, it'd just be a great idea to teach your kids how to give how to give out of the money that they get from a part-time job or from babysitting or from the birthday gift they received from grandma. 
you know, how, how to invest their money in Christ's kingdom.